Podcast 84 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. This episode is brought to you by Shot Quality Bets. For a different perspective in approaching the college basketball market, please visit Shot Quality Bets and use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to support the Oddsbreakers and benefit from our plays, please visit theoddsbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member by picking any of our premium cappers, including myself, to get the plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com, and if nothing else, please visit the Oddsbreakers and become a free picks newsletter and Telegram subscriber. We have a great show for you today because Ron... Ace Sports is coming on to break down college football championship week. I cannot wait to talk to Ron about these massive conference championship games, 10 of them, and get all of his perspective on his thoughts on the current lines. We both made our plays and some of the lines have already moved, of course, but There are certainly some games that still might have some value to play on. And sometimes the the line moves move past where Ron and I and other handicappers think they should be. So you go play on that side after you disagree with the market. I disagree with the market on a pretty consistent basis. In the NFL especially. (laughs) You know, in the NFL, it's literally about getting ahead of the line moves. uh, Especially. You know, you have so many different options when you do. That's why handicappers are much more preferred over machines that spit out numbers and do not factor in injuries, spots, system plays, positional metrics, and many other things that handicappers can sniff out. Before Ryan comes on, I'm going to get into the NFL and my thoughts on a massive week 13 slate. There's only two bye weeks this week, Arizona and Carolina, so keep that in mind. So I'm going to give you a few of my NFL plays that haven't moved away from me, still where I made the play or very close. And I'm also going to talk quickly about a non-sports betting discussion that's going on big on Twitter, and it's the college football rankings. So... It's so funny when the committee makes decisions because they've been consistently inconsistent on the things that they say, right? So just starting, the college football playoff rankings came up with Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, and Ohio State. That's fine. Ohio State, one loss, was the preseason top team They lost to Michigan, which is second, so I guess that's okay. But when it gets down to six and seven is where the big discussion is, Alabama and Tennessee. Why is Alabama ahead of Tennessee by their rules on the boxes that you actually check? Well, three of the boxes, well, one of them is conference championship, right? 
There's five boxes. Conference championship, these teams have no chance in it, right? So that's a complete moot point. So the next box is head-to-head, right? So what did Tennessee do against Alabama head-to-head? Well, Tennessee beat Alabama head-to-head, okay? The next box that they look at, and by the way, they don't look at home or away. At least they don't say that. But the next box that they look at is common opponents. Well, Alabama lost to Tennessee, obviously, We already talked about that. They lost at LSU, which Tennessee absolutely destroyed, (laughs) right? So uh, there's a common opponent right there that Tennessee beat by 27 points, okay? 27 points. So there you go. The only other common opponent that they played was Vanderbilt. Alabama beat them 55-3 to by... uh, 52 points and Vanderbilt lost to Tennessee just last week at 56 to zero. So there's your common opponents. Tennessee checks both of those boxes. Looking at strength of schedule, Tennessee gets that as well because that's the fourth thing they look at. Strength of schedule. Tennessee played Alabama, right? Tennessee had to play number 20 Florida, number 27 Number 25, LSU. Number 19, Kentucky. (laughs) You know? Uh, They had that hiccup at South Carolina where Hooker did get injured, obviously, which was their bad loss. They beat Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. Tennis, Alabama's schedule. Let's see how many ranked opponents that they had to play this year. The Texas one certainly sticks out. Um, Texas has some ugly losses this year themselves. But it was just at Arkansas, LSU, the common opponent, and Ole Miss. Tennessee having to play Georgia trumps a heck of a lot of that. Alabama played Utah State, Louisiana Monroe, Austin P. You know, the only hard one was at Texas, which isn't ranked. Tennessee played six ranked teams on their schedule. Alabama played five. So, Tennessee checks the strength of schedule box according to these rankings. Obviously, power ratings are different, but that's a different discussion because they don't go by power ratings. And then finally, the last box is a injury that could change the thoughts on where a team could be. Well, we know that Hendon Hooker got injured, but look at the backup quarterback Milton did. Just beat a improved Vanderbilt team by 56 points. They beat him by more than Bama did with their starting quarterback. So how the heck does just one box, even if you assume there's a massive drop down to Milton, which I personally do too, but I'm going by the rules, trumps the three other boxes that Tennessee checks over Alabama. That's called bias. And this is why we yell a lot sports bettors and as college football fans we don't like bias and variance in what we are watching or what we are betting on or what we are enjoying for our pastime watching sports if you are a badger fan like myself and they're ranked let's say fourth and they go through 
a season undefeated and losing the Big Ten championship game. Alabama has two losses and they're ranked fifth and they don't lose. You don't want the committee to start making up their own rules by putting Alabama ahead of Wisconsin or TCU in this situation, right? Because they play an extra game. This is the whole problem with it. You know, you you want to know where your team is going to be and you want predictability out of it, right? TCU fans, they lose to Kansas State. They don't want Ohio State jumping them. They had to play the extra game. Why should Ohio State jump them? Not like the Big Ten was all that this year. At least the West wasn't. You know, I'll give it that Penn State was good. But geez, <laughs> this is a situation that needs to be fixed. The committee has massive bias built into them. And if you want to change the rules and just have the four best teams, it doesn't matter if you have a hiccup loss. I mean, Georgia could have lost to Missouri. That could have put them in a different position here, right? You know, it's just, it, there's there's luck involved in these football games, the way the ball bounces. If you just want to use the top four teams, then go by my power ratings or go by someone else's power ratings because I can almost tell you that 99% of Real sports better power rings have Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama as their top four teams. Just do that. But that's not how the committee does it, right? They have this most deserving and blah, blah, blah. So go by your own rules with the three boxes that Tennessee just checked. And you're just making an abstract rule on the injury thing because Tennessee beat Vanderbilt by more points than Alabama did with their starting quarterback with a backup. Fucking bullshit! You know, so all we're asking for as fans, sports bettors, just people enjoying football in itself, to take your bias away and start being honest to us. All right? I mean, that's all we ask for. Just some honesty here. All right. That brings us to NFL Week 13. And... We're going to start right out with the Buffalo Bills against the New England Patriots. Now, this is a weird situation. The, the Bills were favored by maybe about five points. The market has kind of come down. Patriots money came in. But people that are betting the Patriots might have forgotten something key. And I'm just going to tell you that my pure metrics have the Bills minus 3.6. The Bills have kind of been crumbling over the past four or five weeks, especially in the fourth quarter. What the market has maybe forgot about is how bad the Patriots are defending a rushing quarterback. And this is going to factor into a later game too, this whole rushing quarterback point. But you saw what the Bears did to the Patriots this year, right? They ran all over New England, right? Ran all over them. 170 yards for Justin Fields. Now, this game is very important to both teams. Buffalo's actually in second place because of that Miami loss at 8-3. Uh, the Patriots holding on for dear life, 6-5. and five. I mean, the AFC's tough. The, the, the wild card's probably going to have to have at least, I would say, 10 wins here, right? But looking at the Patriots' schedule here, you know, when they played Lamar, they got ran all over. Right, ran all over. When they played the Bears, they got ran all over. <laughs> when they played the Browns, they didn't get run over. When they played the Lions and beat them twenty nine nothing, Jared Goff's a statue. <laughs> but 
Josh Allen runs for a ton of yards. And that is where the Patriots do not succeed. So they, I could see them getting beat by a large margin here. But the numbers, the pure numbers, I have this game from a power rating at 3.5. Maybe Bill Belichick is smart enough to know and uh, how to stop Josh Allen here. <laughs> but just from that one metric itself makes me give a strong lean to the Buffalo Bills. We'll see if more contrarian money. Next game, you have the New York Jets at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings minus three, plus 100, total 44 and a half. Now, this game, it bugs me. And the reason that it bugs me is because my metrics have the Jets winning this game, <laughs> you know, just based upon straight metrics. And, and that's just taking yards per play, yards per point, you know, my algorithm. My power rating thinks that Minnesota is the better team, but it's frustrating because you got Mike White here, and I believe that Mike White was a little fraudulent just showing against the horrible Bears defense with a ton of injuries. I bet most of those guys in the Bears defense wouldn't be starting on other teams, right? So that worries me a little bit, and I also think... I remember, and I don't know if this is accurate. Maybe you can tweet at me by checking this one out. But I believe Mike White came in last year or the year before and ended up looking amazing, right? Absolutely amazing one game. And the next one, he completely shit the bed, right? I think I remember that being, I, th I thought it was 2020, but I, I am not completely sure um, when that happened, but I remember that was kind of like a fallacy in a way. So I'm a little concerned for the hype on a guy that's a backup quarterback now is being named the starter. Uh, there's a mindset thing as well. The Vikings are dangerous. They have a pretty bad defense, but the Vikings are also on extra rest. So I, I, I'm going back and forth with myself really on this one. And it could end up being a play. Probably won't from what I just told you. The next game, the Tennessee Titans versus the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the exact same situation that I talked about with the Patriots. The Titans haven't played many good quarterbacks. The beginning of the season, you remember, they started off against the Giants. And Daniel Jones is kind of a running quarterback, and he did run this game, and they lost 21-20. to 20. Then they played maybe the best rushing quarterback in the league in Josh Allen and lost 41-7. to 7. But then they played the Raiders and Derek Carr. You know how the Raiders are. Not a great quarterback. And then they play Matt Ryan. Then they play Carson Wentz. Then they play Sam Ellinger. Then they play <laughs> Davis Mills, right? Then they play Mahomes, and they played them pretty tough. They actually had their backup quarterback. The Chiefs, I believe, were asleep that game. If you look at the box score, the Chiefs outgained them by well over 100 yards. They still lost that game 20-17. to 17. Then they played the Broncos. <laughs> Russell Wilson looking terrible. Then they played the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers, and Aaron can't run the ball, and Aaron's having an awful year. And then they played the Bengals. Joe Burrow doesn't run a lot. Lost 20-16. to 16. Now they're playing Jalen Hurts, one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the league. 
this is a situation where my number actually favors the Eagles by a little bit, by about a half a point, point and a half in the current number. It's kind of coming down, though. There's some fives out there, and there's five and a halves. I could certainly see myself on the Eagles at this situation, not to mention their secondary of the Titans is very, very banged up. So uh, the Bengals, when they also played last week, didn't have Jamar Chase, and they also did not have Joe Mixon. <laughs> Joe Mixon's such a massive part of that team, and they still lost at home in a revenge game. I'm really leaning Eagles here. Broncos versus Ravens. Ravens laying minus eight and a half, total 38 and a half. The Broncos might be one of those teams that quit this year. There's some massive locker room issues, but I will say that they this could also be their rally game. They might be getting KJ Hamler and Jerry Jetty back this week. Maybe they do enough to cover this thing. You know, maybe this is the kind of like, okay, we're professional athletes, get out here one more time. But it's also very predictive to think, at least. I want to say predictive, that's a bad word. It's also very suggestive to say that they could have completely quit anyway. <laughs> you know, uh, I think the, the Ravens are a great teaser leg, and we'll get to that after the rest of these NFL games. I will say that nobody's betting the Broncos this week. The books are probably going to have a big liability on the Ravens. The Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. <laughs> this is an ugly, ugly spread itself. Houston plus seven. The whole narrative is Deshaun Watson comes back. But Sean Watson did not look good in the preseason. And how the heck can you be all that good after taking two years off? That concerns me a little bit here. And it's not like the Texans, which probably for the most part quit on their season, but they know that Cleveland's kind of gunning for them and they're a massive home dog. They did kind of show a little bit of life the second half against the Dolphins here. They do have a quarterback in Kyle Allen. That's now starting over Davis Mills, getting a little healthier. Damian Paris is in there. And it's not like they want their old quarterback, Deshaun Watson, to beat them. And most of these guys were even playing when Deshaun Watson was. I think uh, Laramie Tunsil was. He was traded from Miami. But there wasn't a lot of guys really here that was playing and really care. But they do care about Cleveland coming in and embarrassing them. So uh, my number on this is 5.8. I have Cleveland minus 5.8 in this game. So the Texans certainly might be a play, especially now that you can get some minus 105s on that plus 7 as well. Let's move on to the next game. The Washington Commanders versus the New York Giants. The Giants are getting disrespected here at plus 2.5. Total is 40.5. What I will say about the New York Giants is that they are getting some guys back from injury. I'm just going to kind of go to their injury report. Bellinger might play their tight end. You know, that's huge. And uh, there's a bunch of linemen, Evan Neal, Shane Lemieux, Joshua Izudu, Joe Feliciano, all questionable. Ozizo Zulari designated to return from IR. Tony Jefferson designated to return from IR. So you have a lot of uh, situational uh, options here, really, that, to find if this plus two and a half is good. What I will say is their quarterback, Daniel Jones, loves to run the football. 
and I don't like Washington laying points. Now, I was on Washington last week at minus four, and I thought I was fortunate to win that because it took really a big choke from Atlanta to not win that game, and they ended up winning by six because they stopped the goal line uh, situation. I like how the Giants have extra rest in this game. If it's a three, I'm playing it. Right now, it's in teaser territory. Jacksonville versus Detroit. Detroit plus one. Total is 51.5. I have a free play for you on this one. I think it's safe to say that Jacksonville is the better team, metrically. Um, It's not by a huge margin. I have Jacksonville as a slight favorite on, I guess, a neutral. But Detroit was very unhealthy for a good stretch of the season. And now Dan Campbell kind of has his guys locked and loaded here. Winning three of the last four games in that last week's game against Buffalo. What an effort in that situation. The stats aren't really showing the true power of the Lions, in my opinion, because of some of those injuries that they had earlier this year. But I was very impressed to see them against Buffalo. And now they have extra rest. Jacksonville right now, is dead even in net yards per play. Detroit's minus 0.6. Not a huge discrepancy. But what I do like here is that the Jaguars are in a bad spot. They kind of came off like a last-second Baltimore win. Big celebration situation, right? And now they have to go to Detroit, which maybe they're not taking seriously, and they have Tennessee on deck. It's the typical old Grand Salami sandwich spot which I like to key in on when betting almost all sports, right? I think the Lions can get the win here. I think the fact that they have the coaching right now, they have the motivation right now, it looks like they haven't given up on their season. You know, they haven't won a lot early, but they're kind of feeling some momentum here. And the kicker also is Jerome Boger is the official for this game. And if you look up his numbers, well, I did a few weeks ago, he was 57% ATS for home games, for home teams. He also throws a ton of flags. Probably going to see a lot of PI. Maybe an over is okay to look at, but you're already looking at 51.5, the hook there. Maybe an over is okay to look at. But I think the Giants get it done here at the very end. You know, Jared Goff might not be the best quarterback in the world, but the dude has some serious experience in the NFL. Take the Lions here at the plus one for two stars. And this ain't no joke. What is the five fingers? Say to the face. <laughs> what? Slap. Man, I love that Rick James skit on the old Chappelle show. Best ever. Let's move on to the next game here. We have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons minus one. Total is 42. Remember when I said last week that the Falcons probably should have won that game? Well, in my opinion, they should have won that game. (laughs) Anyways, the Pittsburgh Steelers coming off the Monday night. Pretty easy win against the Colts. You know, it was was back and forth. There's a part where the Steelers got caught behind, and then you got to hand it to Kenny Pickett. He's really been playing pretty well. But I don't like the injuries that they have to Jalen Warren, and now Najee Harris has a nasty uh, chest injury that could be taking him out this game as well. Atlanta's a a better team than people think. And I know they just lost Drake London, but they have a power running game while Detroit is, sorry, while Pittsburgh 
is dead last in opponent rushing yards per game. Now, obviously, some of that's without T.J. Watt, but the T.J. Watt factor it worries me with more of a pocket quarterback. When you have a guy like Marcus Mariota, he's more of a rollout quarterback, uh, get some stuff done with his feet. I think that <laughs> this is going to be a dink and dunk em type game, and I really like Atlanta here, and I'm going to take Atlanta uh, for a couple stars here to get the win. I, I just don't like Pittsburgh on the short week. And I also like the fact that Atlanta is literally in the mix to win the NFC South. So it's a massive game uh, for the Falcons. Let's move on to the next game. And I have another play for you. Miami versus San Francisco. San Fran's about minus four. The total on this is 46, 46 and a half. Shop around. Lots of people look at San Francisco and think of defense, defense, defense. But they don't understand where the weakness lies, and that's in the secondary. What people do not know is that two of the three cornerbacks that San Francisco's been playing with is uh, uh, would be second string on many teams, right? Right? Uh, they benefit a lot from their pass rush, ranking eighth in adjusted sack rate and tenth in pressure rate. So when the Niners uh, actually play an offense with a pulse, their strength of schedule ranks second to last, by the way. Um, when they played the Chiefs and the Falcons, they gave up 44 and 28 points respectively. Uh, the Chiefs went in there and just blew their doors off because they exposed the fact that the pass rush couldn't get to Mahomes and he ran. He was able to roll out the ball. I think the same thing happens here with Miami and their be, uh, decent offensive line and Tua uh, Tungaviola here. Um, last week, the Saints should have scored those two red zone touchdowns and possibly won that game. You know, it was a great defensive stand for San Fran, but this is the Saints and Andy Dalton compared to the Miami Dolphins here. Uh, also, obviously, the big story of this game, Mike McDaniel that worked under Kyle Shanahan for years as an OC. He's going to know a little bit about the Niners and how to beat that defense. Uh, he also has some motivated running backs with Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. You know, want to uh, show the team that, you know, maybe they should have stuck with him. Right? I think uh, you're going to get some good plays from both teams. Uh, the big issues with the Dolphins is uh, their defense is kind of suspect. They uh, only rank 18th in defensive uh, EPA per play. They give up 4.5 yards per rush, 5.7 yards per play. The Dolphins lost some key defensive contributors like uh, Byron Jones and Emmanuel Ogba over the past few weeks, as well as a few others. Dolphins are third in offensive EPA per play, 29 points per game. And the Niners, who are finally healthy on offense, you know, there was a lull in their schedule, ranked fifth in offensive EPA since week nine. So I think I think you're going to see points. I like the over here. I have the Niners probably minus 5.5 to win the game. But I really like the over in this situation. Over 46 for 2.5 stars. It's just swimming with bow-legged women. All right, next game. The Seattle Seahawks at the LA Rams. Rams plus 7.5, total 41. This is ugly as hell. Seeing the Seattle lose to the Raiders like they did was a little head-scratching. You saw that their defense is a little suspect. But you got the home Rams team that may have given up on the season. You know, they're another team that uh, Super Bowl and just absolutely terrible how their season has went. Uh, it, there's so many questions on the Rams, like Matt Stafford. Um, Stafford actually 
could play this game. He's still questionable. So there's just not enough information. Stafford literally will move this line. Now, you don't have Allen Robinson. You don't have Cooper Cup. You still have Higby and a couple other scrubs. But, you know, some of these guys have to by now be playing for a little respect. But just so many injuries. Brandon Allen, their, or Brian Allen, their center. Aaron Donald's questionable. This is just an ugly line in an ugly game. If Stafford doesn't end up playing, I could see the Seahawks just running through this team and the Rams might have quit. So I'm going to pass on this game. Uh, probably no. I, I You could have got the Seahawks early at minus four, minus four and a half, but um, that's one I did miss on uh, to put myself in a situation. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs over at Bengals. This is such a great line at minus one and a half now. It was at two, two and a half, and it's down to one and a half. And the reason it's a great line is because that's what my line is. I have the Chiefs minus one and a half at the Bengals. I know the Bengals are getting healthier. They're probably going to get Mixon back. They might get Jamar Chase back. Totals at 53. Shows like high flying. I was on the Bengals last year, both these games. And I won them, and I was happy with my plays. I, I saw weakness in the Chiefs. The Bengals kind of know how to beat the Chiefs. But this is also a big revenge spot for the Chiefs. And the Chiefs laying a very low point spread is kind of what people like to bet on. It was like three and a half last year, and uh, the Bengals actually won the game on the very last drive. But that thing was really back and forth. I see two teams that are pretty equal, but I think the Chiefs, just in this situation after losing last year, will have the heart to step up. I also like the Chiefs, how they're spreading the ball around. I, you want to beat the Chiefs, take Kelsey out and make Mahomes beat you, which he re really does a lot. So it's a perfect line. I, I'm not going to bet perfect lines. Uh, Chargers versus Raiders. Raiders plus one and a half. The total's 15 and a half. I, the Raiders are the most untrustable team. Yet, um, I will say that the Chargers are a little overrated themselves. What they do get... This game is Rolstad, the official. Rolstad is a big ATS uh, favorite for away teams. So that helps the Chargers in this situation. But I don't know which Raiders team I get. The one that just played Seattle, you know, the one that uh, beat up Denver in the, in the, uh, at overtime. Or do I get the Raiders team that lost to the Colts, you know, at, at home? Do I get the Raiders team that uh, lost to Arizona like they did uh, at home? You know, it's just uh, they got shut out by New Orleans 24 to nothing. I, I don't know which Raiders team I'm going to get. Um, I actually have some more line value on this, and I did play it at a better number. Uh, and I hate playing the Raiders. It's my crutch, but I just can't stay away from the games. But at plus one and a half, I'm not going to give away uh, a play on them. I, I think this is probably good around the pick em. Um, so a slight lean to the Raiders just because the Chargers are definitely overrated and the Chargers are also pretty banged up themselves over the past few weeks. Colts first Cowboys. Cowboys minus 11, total 43 and a half. I think the Colts are close to quitting on the season. Uh, Matt Ryan was pretty bad last week and, you know, he pulled them ahead and then the Steelers scored and then Ryan, Matt Ryan couldn't do anything because he's, well, it's just not that good of a quarterback and, He's not that good in this system. And you have to admit, Jeff Saturday hyped the team up for the first game that they won, and then they almost beat the Eagles. And then kind of like the real uh, clock management issues with a new coach like Jeff Saturday is starting to show its ugly face because he literally uh, gave up the whole clock on that Matt Ryan run last week. And it's like, dude, you could possibly win this game, and this is what you're doing. And 
yeah, it, it was just a big head scratcher on uh, his clock management. And you have to admit, as bad as Mike McCarthy is, you give the coaching advantage and the team advantage to Dallas. This is a massive spread at minus 11. My me- my metric number is 9.5. Probably more of a power number is uh, minus 11 itself. So I, I am staying away from this one right now. I, I It's going to be hard to bet the Colts. The books are probably going to need the Colts in this game as well. Um, certainly not in teaser territory where you'd want to tease it. Uh, but, you know, maybe the Colts get the ball to Taylor like they should be. Maybe uh, their defense shows up a little bit more and they're able to cover this spread. You, you know, the Dallas did choke away that spread with the missed field goal last week, but they are on extra rest here. Finally, the Saints versus the Tampa Bay Bucks for Monday Night Football. Bucks minus four. The total is 40 and a half. This is a certain low total. Now, the Saints usually own the Bucks in this matchup, but they did lose to the Bucks earlier this year, uh, I believe by 10 points. I, I thought that was kind of backdoorable, but uh, they just weren't able to come through. The Tristan Wirfs injury that Tampa Bay just suffered is pretty big. You know, I... I rate it pretty bad, and I also know that Tampa Bay's got more healthy. That showed when they beat Seattle uh, in London, but going against Cleveland and choking that game away, uh, twenty-three to seventeen, certainly doesn't make them look good. This is an important division game for them. Now you can almost say that the Saints are almost out of it. I believe they are four and eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yep, they haven't had their bye yet. So they're going to get their bye next week. But even at four and eight, they are not completely out of this thing because Atlanta is only five and seven. <laughs> they're literally in this division. You know, Tampa Bay is the, the leader, but if they can get this win, Tampa Bay only has five wins themselves at uh, five and seven. So... I think that this could be a good spot for the Saints to really pick it up. I have a strong lean to the Saints at the plus four. Do I like Andy Dalton? Heck no. I do like the fact that their defense really showed up last week in uh, San Francisco. Um, Elvin Kamara's a little bit banged up, so I'm a little bit concerned. He did have two fumbles, which was also really strange last week against San Francisco. But the Saints are expected to have Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Pete Werner in this game. Um, I just think that this could be a good spot for them to show up here. And I know Tom Brady is Tom Brady, but this team is much different with Todd Bowles as head coach instead of Bruce Arians. We can't forget that they lost Shaq Barrett. You know, back in late October for the season, um, Antoine Winfield is questionable. Suffered an ankle sprain in their loss to the Browns. You know, Mike Edwards, their other safety, uh, suffered a contusion. Uh, There's just they're just kind of banged up themselves. Sean Murphy Bunting, as well, is banged up. So they're just going to have to rely on their skill guys like Mike Evans and Chris Scott, Chris Godwin. So that's what they're going to try to rely on. But the Saints, if they can stop that, they're going to be in good position to cover this thing. I have the Tampa Bay Bay by three. You know, I have a better number on this one, but at the three and a half and four is more of a, you're getting more into lean territory. So there you have it. You know, as a recap, I am taking the Atlanta Falcons. I'm taking the Detroit Lions. 
very strong lean to the Texans and take the over 46.5 for Miami versus San Francisco for 2.5 stars. Now, it is time for our refuse to lose teaser that is now seven, four in one, six wins in a row on this baby. I'm excited to take the Baltimore Ravens down to minus two and a half against the Broncos. The Broncos might have given up, but even if they give their best effort here, the Ravens are coming off a nasty loss to Jacksonville. They're going to be motivated as well. I think even a medium effort from the Ravens uh, covers three points. So take them down to minus two and a half. And then on the other side of the teaser, we're going to take the Giants up to eight and a half. Division game, low total around 40 points. I think the Giants get a little bit healthier. Giants coming off a loss themselves against Dallas. The Washington football team, not going to be a great favorite on the road, in my opinion. Yeah, the Commanders, I call them the football team. I just think that this is way too many points to take all the way up to eight and a half for Washington to cover. The back door is wide open, just like it was last week against Dallas. Let's tease them to eight and a half with the Ravens to minus two and a half for two stars. Last week, fucked around and got a triple-double. All right, now it's time for College Football Championship Week with our guest, Ron Ace Sports from the Inside Blitz. Now I'm very excited to bring back Mr. Ron Ace Sports from the Inside Blitz show. He also blogs for Kyle Hunter and at the Odds Breakers. You can follow him on Twitter at Ron Ace Sports. Ron, Championship Week is finally here. My man, how are you doing? It's been a great and a long season. I love the football season. It's the pretty much the only sport I handicap, so I go into it beginning in July and August, do all the prep work. We talk about the process, and the process is unfolding all the way through 10 games, roughly, for the championships this week, and then on to the bowl games, and then it's siesta time. So let's enjoy it while we can. Let's enjoy it while we can, but hey, they threw 11th game in because the Buffalo one that was canceled is being played this week as well. I don't know if we need to talk about Akron versus Buffalo, but... uh <laughs> just, yeah. I was kind of hoping that wouldn't be played because uh, it would have avoided one of my future plays. But now that it's played, uh, yeah, it's there. Uh, Akron under? Uh, no, actually Buffalo under. So that's a dangerous one. It looks like Buffalo will probably win that game. And, you know, some you know, these things happen in terms of the canceled games and, and stuff like that. I, I took a couple of other canceled games. Uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech, but the season's been really, really good otherwise. Well, that's good. You know, it's funny. Uh, I've had, uh, you know, especially during the first COVID year, it's like I would have k- killed it on a few of them. It's like then one cancel completely cancels. It's like it's like they already went over by three games and they have a canceled game and you're not going to pay me. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, uh, the sportsbook policies, we've talked about it on shows with Chris, uh, probably talked about it. You've talked about it as well. You have to read the fine line because there are books out there that have graded winners, even though they have played 11 games because they're so far under or over the total. That's the books. And I like. it, it's something we should all pay more attention to. What are the rules that you're getting into? 
Totally agree. I forgot my cup, so I'm drinking right out of the bottle. Of <laughs> drinking out of the big bottle. <laughs> Nobody else is going to care. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that drinks Diet 8 and W anyway. Uh, it's very underrated, just to let you know. But no, man, it's been a great season. And we already have some coaching changes, man. And uh, I think they're exciting. And I, if you know me, you know I'm excited about one of them for sure. Let's rate them from fifth. And, and I think there's like only five or six true hires right now, but let's let's go from fifth to first, which is kind of like the worst to the best. And I'm gonna I'll start out. Uh, num- my number five is that Biff Pogi to uh, Charlotte. I I didn't really know much about him in the past. Michigan assistant head coach. You know, I mean, it's not like this is bad for Charlotte. It just doesn't do anything for me because we don't know who he really is. I guess I did a little research. He coached some uh, some high school teams and was successful before, you know, getting under Jim Harbaugh there. And I guess anybody under Jim Harbaugh might be a, a good guy to take a shot with, but just not enough information. He could be a complete bust, Ron. What is your number five? Uh, I would probably rate him fifth too, because even though I've been doing this for 40 years, that name popped on my screen and I said, who is he? <laughs> I, kn- I didn't know anything about him. I had to look up where he was and so on. Um, and he's not a young gentleman. Um, I mean, he's young compared to me, but he's in his early 60s. And so it's it's Charlotte. I think they're moving. They're one of the teams that are moving to the American Conference. So you would think they wanted to do a little bit more of a splash hire, somebody that that would grow with the program, much like uh, Luke Fickle grew with Cincinnati when he left the Big Ten. And now Bill is leaving the Big Ten and he's going to Charlotte. So it's a curious hire. It's not necessarily bad or good, like you mentioned. It's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a long-term thing or what. Exactly. So we had to put him at five. There's going to be obviously some... A lot more fillers coming up this week uh, and next week. Of course, Cincinnati's obviously got to find one. So move on to number four. Who's your number four? My number four is going to shock a lot of people, but I do not like the fit of Hugh Freeze to Auburn. First of all, I don't think Hugh Freeze merited another chance in the SEC based on on on-field and off-field behavior. Second, he's going in one of the toughest divisions in football. They've got to play both Mississippi schools that are constantly eight, nine win teams and ascending Arkansas team whose only problem is they were hit by a brutal schedule each of the last two years. A&M had the number one recruiting class last year. So, you know, these youngsters are going to everything's going to get better with them, especially with quarterback play. And now you have Auburn, the stepsister, in my opinion, to Alabama, who wants to feel like they're on the same level and they get a lot of talent there, but they kind of just miss. To me, they're more like a sixth or seventh team. You freeze when the chatter started. Liberty started, what, eight and one, nine and one, and then they lost their last couple of games. They lost, uh, you know, they got blown out the last week. I just don't like the fit here, and I don't think you freeze is the right answer for this program. I agree. I have him at number four as well. You know what's funny about Hugh Freeze and betting him? I did really well this year because you knew Liberty was going to upset somebody because that's what Hugh Freeze does. He's upset Nick Saban twice, Mm -hmm. you know, and so they upset Arkansas. And then the very next week, you knew to fade him against UConn. You know, it's just that's Hugh Freeze. And then you fade him, and guess what? He loses outright. 
He's very inconsistent. I'm not sure if Auburn's looking for inconsistent, you know? So it, it's definitely a hire that you're like, okay, he turned a Liberty team over. Well, big deal, you know? I mean, I guess he's a good motivator, but it takes a lot more to recruit guys and, and deal with high-talent guys. Maybe he's more of a guy that can deal with low talent and less ego. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but um, I agree. I don't think he's gonna the guy to turn this around, and I think there's some better candidates that they could have went for, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, I went Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State, Ron. Um, and maybe ours is identical by your smile that way. I don't know, but I think that <laughs> Dillingham, being that he went to Arizona State and is an alumni there, and I like the offense that he was at ran at uh, Oregon. I, he really turned Bo Nix around. And you know what? That's what Arizona State needs. It's somebody to give him a kick in the ass. They've had uh, all those really weird years and bad recruiting and, you know, under investigation and all that with Herm Edwards and, and, and uh, Graham before and everything. And I, I think he's a great, great hire for, well, I'm, I'm going to say good hire. That's why he's number three. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to call him number three, agreeing with you, with a uh, higher ceiling, a ceiling that that really I, I toyed with putting him at number two, but this is his first head coaching job, obviously. He's young. That means, to me, the floor is high, or the floor is low, but the ceiling is high. Arizona State actually recruits very well, and, and a lot of coaching is about recruiting. And in the Pac-12, possibly soon to be Pac-10, you get a, a situation where he might have a California recruiting advantage if he can get his you know, nose and his uh, recruiters into the California market once USC and UCLA lead for the Big Ten. Leaves, leaves um, a window period where a team like Arizona State can shoot up the ladder and contend for a title in the and really con- contend all the way to the top two or three spots in the Pac-12. So... I think this is more about can he recruit more than can he coach? The, the players are there. Um, he just has to make sure that that he can stop people from leaving with the transfer portal and get new players in. Fair enough, and I agree with that 100%. Who's your next one, number two? My next one then would be uh, Matt Rule at Nebraska. This has a chance for failure in a way. Nebraska has been a patient team, a patient fan base for 40 years, ever since they were on my radio station, uh, KIEV in Glendale, California. Uh, Nebraska games were on with Bob Devaney and in the Wayback Era and so on. This has been one of the greatest fan bases, but now they're getting a little antsy because nothing has happened in the last 10, 12 years, and they've shifted into mediocrity. Matt Rule is more of a college coach. He's a program builder. We saw what he did at a couple of different schools. He's not a quick fix guy. So I think the fit is good at Nebraska because they're willing to be a little bit patient. And I think fundamentally his defenses are going to play better than Scott Frost. But I'm not sure it's a wow, wow hire that's going to get recruits to come to Nebraska like the old days. So the Michigans, the Penn States, the Ohio States, and maybe a couple of the others are still going to win the recruiting battles. I think this is a, I think Matt Rule gets them back into the bowl season sooner rather than later. Whether it becomes an elite splash hire, I still have a few doubts about that. You know, I have them too as well. Uh, you know, what's funny is that 
he was, I, I believe he recruited Charlie Brewer to Baylor and um, he made him look really good, you know, and he turned Baylor around. I think it was it a temple before that. I think it was temple temple. He really turned temple around. They were bottom feeder. So, so that's why he's number two, not number three it, for me too. It's like he turned these schools around, but here's my problem with him. He runs something not similar to Scott Frost in college, but he was a very fast paced coach not so much in the nfl but in college he ran a fast pace i don't know if that's going to i, I guess change or or how that's going to go through with uh, the nfl because um or sorry with with the big 10 because the big 10 stopped that already you know so you you're, you're you scratch your head a little bit i will say that i think matt rule just got a bad a, a bad draw at Carolina. Mm-hmm. I, I think he didn't have any quarterbacks to work with. He kind of fixed the defense and they were good enough to hang on for a while. But when they start, you know, when, when the offense is turning the ball over, putting there and putting, yeah. you know, Sam Darnold throwing picks and uh, putting them in terrible situations, you know, Kyle Allen, then the defense starts, you know, like, yeah, screw this. I'm sick of, you know, getting the ball in the opponent's 20-yard line and trying to stop your touchdown, making my numbers look bad. It, was just, it, it just really spun out of control, and I just think that the GM was more worse. So I do like Matt Rule for sure, and yeah. uh, I think he's a, a very good hire. I just don't know if it's a great hire yet, but got to go with my Badgers here, and I think that's what uh, you have as number one, what's left, Luke Fickle. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing with Wisconsin here is the Jim Leonard situation. Ron, I really thought they were going to give him three years or something. Um, I'll let you get started why Luke Fickle is number one. Okay. Yeah, Luke Fickle is number one for now. Um, maybe we could touch upon some of the other openings after this, what I'm looking for and so on. But what what impressed me about Luke Fickle is that he didn't have a great interim. He was okay at Ohio State, I think, at the interim. And then he, he took some time and he really built that Cincinnati program to the point where, if not for him, Cincinnati would not be going to the Big 12. I strongly believe that he's the reason that Cincinnati's there and not Memphis, because Memphis had a lot of behind-the-scenes clout. And I think Memphis would have gone ahead of Cincinnati if not for the unbelievable success that Cincinnati has had. Especially because they're the Jim Leonard situation. The basketball team in Memphis, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Memphis is the odd team out, actually, in this. Mm-hmm. But Jim Leonard is interesting because I'm curious whether or not he's going to be offered and whether or not he would even be accepting the defensive coordinator job. Because... Uh, under Jim Leonard, Wisconsin has been unbelievable defensively, and that could take a hit, at least initially, if Luke Fickle brings his own people in. Um, the long term, though, Wisconsin is in the division where it's pretty much flip a coin right now, with all the, and Minnesota has, has established itself up there. Uh, Illinois is a player now, Iowa is always in the mix. But if one of these teams could develop an offense to go with their defense, um, it'll be interesting. But Luke Fickle's in in the best situation to have immediate results. Yeah, because of the prowess of Wisconsin, he's losing some recruits if Jim doesn't stay. 
And it, and Jim never said he's leaving yet. He probably, I mean, if it was me, I'd feel slighted because I think other programs, well, Florida State was trying to hire him as a D coordinator and pay him more and everything. And there's mm-hmm. some, I think the Packers even asked, talked to him and he stayed at Wisconsin because he loves Wisconsin. So it's mm-hmm. one of those situations where you're like, well, did we just slight a great guy? He learned under Dave Aranda that was our Wisconsin uh, a defensive coordinator for a while and then it became Justin Wilcox and we kept going to Rose Bowls. You know, Justin Wilcox was our defensive yep coordinator and he was under justin wilcox then he became the justin coordinator defense coordinator when justin wilcox went to cal to become a head coach a little history there but um I, I it shocked me but i mean for what fickle has been able to do find diamonds in the rough wisconsin isn't a five-star talent guy you know type uh, crew you know they, they they don't get those players they needed a big name to get those players now is fickle a big name that's that's debatable i mean you got sauce gardner you got kelsey uh alec pierce you know he, he was able to get some good talent but they weren't also highly recruited he needs to be able to still break into the four-star receiver uh a potentially upside five maybe a five-star here and there receiver and bring them to wisconsin i believe nil monday is for the speed personally and i think wisconsin can keep going to farm fields and picking up their offensive linemen that's fine just get yeah. <laughs> just get some skill there so i think fickle is a great fit you know it was one of those situations where like wow i'm shocked it's not jim but we got fickle because fickle's been highly recruited for a long time so 100 percent agreement but we still have some other coaching positions that aren't uh filled out. how about that lane kiffin rumor too what a what a weird timing for that thing you know that blew my mind and it wasn't yeah. even true yeah, I don't like these sideways moves. The move, for example, Nevada last year, the coach goes to Colorado State and both programs suffer greatly. He takes half of Nevada's coaching staff and 12 of Nevada's starters. Nevada goes into the tank and Colorado State doesn't fare much better. So when, when a coach goes from one SEC school to another, that's happened in the past. I'm, I'm glad Wayne Kippen stayed. Um, he seems to be somebody who doesn't like to stay at a school very long. Um, we'll see how it goes with Mississippi because he's building that program up. He has one more hurdle to get into. He has got to learn how to beat Alabama. He had him on the ropes, couldn't quite finish the deal this year in a year where Alabama was ripe for the taking. I'm, I'm going to be really curious as to some of these hires because Colorado job is potentially a decent job and you're not replacing any kind of talent in coaching. Um, even at Texas State, where a bottom five coach, if they get in you know, some hot young offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, there's room for growth. This is one of the things that I look at very closely in the offseason. Uh, the coaching hires when I put together what might be my season win portfolio. I agree. Absolutely. And uh, we can talk forever about this, but there's going to be more talk about it coming in the few weeks when uh, we find some more. Let's move on to some games then, my man. We'll start with the North okay. Texas, you know, right, right in the Conference USA. We got returning champion UTSA back here as a nine-point favorite over North Texas. Now, I did lose a bet in this one because I thought UAB would be the representative, and UAB with the coach all of a sudden right before the season started left me, and they left me high and dry with my ticket, and I had nothing I can do with it. So, yeah, uh, UAB out of it, UTSA, a massive nine point favorite. I think I have uh, this a little bit lower. I'm going to see where I have this number at personally. It's not as you saw as nine on DraftKings. Yeah, it's uh, 
I ha- I actually have it 11. Sorry, I, I thought I had it lower. But here's why I'm not betting yeah. it. Um, North Texas has a uh, 1.5 net yards per play um, advantage. UTSA, or sorry, 0.15 net yards per play. It's not that big. UTSA has the better metrics in my in my opinion. It's just a very strange situation. It's usually when there's a nine-point favorite, the other team has the net yards per play advantage. This game was only a four-point game earlier this season in San Antonio. You know, it's funny. I remember last year, um, North Texas got a massive win against UTSA at the end of the season. That kind of saved their season. It was a situation was like, are you kidding me? UTSA almost undefeated, and they lose to uh, North Texas. My power rating doesn't match the metrics, so that's what's weird about it. I have UTSA minus 11 on the power rating, but the spread is here is minus 8.5 or 9. So I was a little confused. I guess my lean would go more towards metrics on North Texas. So I'll give you a lean on North Texas and see what your thoughts are. Okay, so we didn't discuss anything before the show, and I would agree 100% with everything you just said. My power ratings also support... uh, um, (laughs) North Texas by about 10 and a half. My metrics clearly support, um, I'm sorry, UTSA favored by 10 and a half. My metrics clearly support North Texas. The interesting thing, and I wrote this up, um, you mentioned, and and the article is up at at Kyle Hunter uh, Picks, Kyle Hunter Sports. I mentioned that despite North Texas's great running, for whatever reason, they ran 21 for 32. They ran like a yard and a half per carry against UTSA, who wasn't dynamic versus the run at all this past year. And yet North Texas for the season ran about five and a half per carry. The thing that interests me about uh, this game is not only do the metrics kind of point toward North Texas, but North Texas feels like it would play toe-to-toe with UTSA based on what you mentioned last year's results and this year's four point spread. Um, They don't fear UTSA. They played at UTSA before. It is a home game, but it's not. I don't know that I give full home field advantage for conference games because the ticket allotment is completely different. So you get you get more of the North Texas fan base in there. So I give kind of a partial rating. But I see this as a much closer game than the spread. Plus, in Texas, they're going to travel. Texas, you know, it's uh, San Antonio, yeah. and it, yeah, it's. I agree. It's it's weird. It's almost like I hate disagreeing with my power ratings this late in the season. You know, <laughs> so that's the yeah. position I'm in as well. But um, I will not ever disagree with my power ratings when it says to pick an underdog. But when it says to pick a favorite, I do three and five year rolling an- averages for power ratings that are off on my line versus the Vegas line or the offshore line. And we're sitting only at 51, 51 and a half percent when the favorites that way, as opposed to 56, 57 percent. Oh. So if the metrics strongly agree with the other way, I, I wouldn't be afraid to go against my power ratings in this case because of a favorite. But if it was flipped the other way around, I, I do not go against uh, my power ratings when they pick a dog. No, fair enough. I agree with that. Let's uh, let, I'll, let's let this marinate a little bit and I'll see why. You know, sometimes teams just have each other's numbers, you know, and this is could be one yeah. of those. Uh, they beat UTSA last year on November 27th 
which is almost exactly a year ago. It's November 30th right now. 45 to 23, North Texas did. And yeah. uh, it was their final game when they made that push. They, had, they were one and six, and they finished uh, six and six to get to the bowl game. That's right. <laughs> and then they lose to Miami, Ohio. So uh, figure that one out. But uh, it was an interesting finish for them for sure uh, last year. Let's move on to the next game. We have the big one, and really to talk about Utah versus USC, because these games are on Friday. And it's it's interesting. This USC has moved up to three in most books now. I, there's a little bit of a, a of a uh, you know juice on the Utah side at plus three. This game's played in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, and so it's going to be a wonderful game. Just looking at the total, you you expect to see some scoring. Why don't you get started? What are your thoughts on this one? Okay, yeah, this game was hit a little bit this morning. Uh, before that, it was trending almost toward three and a half at one point. Uh, the, there are three things that stand out in this game that I wrote about. One is USC wins the turnover battle every single week. I mean, this is just crazy. Plus 23 turnovers. I think the next best is plus 14 or 15 in the NCAA. So in 11 of 12 games, they not only... They have won the turnover battle. And in the other game, they were flat even. So they have not lost the turnover battle at all. And and Caleb Williams is now the Heisman Trophy favorite. Yeah. Uh, we know that Utah uh, stunned them earlier this year with a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So, And it was a high-scoring game there. Utah's run defense has improved. It's not as good as it has been in recent years. And obviously, even without their lead running back, Austin Jones for USC still is a formidable running back. And I would expect USC to light up the tote board in this particular game. Uh, but the other issue is USC's defense is pedestrian. It's nothing special. I think this game hinges on, on the legs of Utah's quarterback. We know he could throw for about 60%. I expect him to throw, I think I graded him out like a um, slight, like 62% for this particular game. But I think if he runs as I expect him to run, I think Utah is going to be a very interesting, I, I think they're underrated in this game. I actually have Utah as a higher power rated team by just a bit. I could be wrong because um, USC has, has not really taken a misstep since the Oregon State game where they benefited by by the four turnovers and squeaked that particular one out. I I show Utah as 50-50 to win this game. Oregon State just beat Oregon, too. How about that? Your alma mater, Ron. Here's my hat. Are you happy about <laughs> that? See, I can't wear a Wisconsin hat. We lost. We, we Graham Mertz that thing. Okay. Yeah, I can wear mine with, with pride. <laughs> we lost the axe. Oh, no. Uh, you know what? That brings up a lot of different conversations. What you said. Uh, what is? What happens? What, what does it take for Max Duggan to get the Heisman here? I mean, is Hendon Hooker still Heisman? Does he? Do they feel sorry enough for him to give it to him? I mean, Bryce Young has yeah. been hit and miss a little bit, even though he's one of the favorites. C.J. Stroud blowing. If you look at his strength schedule, not amazing. I, what does it take for Max Duggan to get this? You know, what, what if what if USC loses by a lot and TCU? really wins isn't he possibly a favorite yeah i don't know if he has a national buzz that an alabama quarterback does that an ohio state quarterback does that a, a usc quarterback does i think duggan's held his own i think i think the tennessee quarterback really 
would be neck and neck with Caleb Williams, in my opinion, based on performance on the field. Unfortunate injury, and you know he's not the reason why they gave up 63 points. Um, he, you know, Tennessee scored at will in that game as well. Until you so yeah. I think it would be between if USC wins, I think it's Williams Heisman, and that's it. And but I would I would put the Tennessee quarterback second. The reason I ask you is because if you look on DraftKings right now, Max Dugman, Duggan is twenty to one to win the Heisman. Yeah. You know, not and, national buzz. Yeah. I mean, if Caleb Williams, if they lose this game, you know, the, he might be downgraded for whatever. And I'm just throwing it out there. I, I don't know the true numbers. I'm just, I, it was, it's hard for me to figure out this stuff because it's more voting and yeah. stuff. It's not metric based much. They will look at some metrics, but we've seen them completely botch that in the past. It's just really interesting for me to see that. Maybe throw a little beer money on old Max. That's a way to be, uh, play the TCU more, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, but uh, in my opinion, I think, and, and this is where we might disagree a little bit on our power ratings, I think that uh, uh, USC is better than Utah. And I watched both teams many games, most of the games probably they played. It was always the night game. I always had the Pac-12 on this year throughout the season. And I have USC now up to number six. And I'm I'm disappointed with USC. Don't get me wrong. I had them against Arizona, and Arizona backdoored them too easy. I was like, did the defense disappear? Well, USC's defense does disappear when they're up. But it's almost funny that I've seen them kind of locked down a little bit sometimes too. And Caleb Williams right now should get the Heisman. That's where I have it. If it ended today, he's number three in QBR. Cameron Rising is number 24 in QBR. You saw Utah lose to Florida. I thought that was more of a fluke myself, and it probably was in some ways. But they also really disappointed in some other games. UCLA, Oregon, you know, Utah, when they get away from that wonderful, you know, Salt Lake City home that they have where they have a massive home field advantage. I have them as the biggest home field in college football, personally. Um, they tend to falter on on paper. USC's got the better offense, ranking 55th in explosive plays. Utah's 115th in explosive plays. Utah's definitely got the better defense on paper. But this is just one of those situations where I watched this game and I thought that UCSC got screwed officiating-wise. They were throwing penalties every single chance they had in Utah and it allowed Utah pass interference their way all the way to that final score to win this game by one point. Um the Utes allow 24 points per game at home, 35 on the road. They allow 35 on the road. USC allows 33 on the road. So that's interesting. When And uh, I have USC by four. I played it big at minus two, Ron. And it was one of my it was my biggest play this week. I have options now. I, I am surprised their money came back so quickly on Utah too. But um, you say you, you kind of favor Utah in some ways, but uh, this is one of my better plays. I would play him at three, uh, at minus three as well for two stars. So that's the play I'm going to give out. Well, it's, you know, we agreed on all the coaches and everything. We don't want to show where we agree on everything, do we? <laughs> no, we sure, no, we sure um, don't, no. Yeah, so, yeah, I make it more 50-50, so it wouldn't surprise me if USC wins, but a 50-50 game and you get the points – and you get the team with the better uh, rushing numbers. In my opinion, Utah can control clock with their running numbers. USC obviously can run as well. And like I said, Utah's run defense has been a little bit 
weaker than we've seen in the past. But if you look at just the last five games, ever since they played USC, Utah's run defense is closer to three and a half per carry. Um, I'm going to look at my my notes right here. Um, one, two, yeah, 351, about 3.2 per carry corrected for sacks in the last five games. So Utah has stiffened defensively, in my opinion, which doesn't mean they're going to control a, an extremely balanced team like USC. But if they can, if they can get even two three and outs, I'm curious to see whether USC can control Utah's run, run game. Uh, I just think it comes down to another barn burner. Yeah, and unfortunately, USC lost die, I believe, for the season. Um, yeah, I, I think so. So that's uh, that that hurts them in their run game as well. Well, it's gonna be a fun game to watch. Um, this is for the Pac-12 getting into the playoffs. So if you want to use any, yes. if you want to use anything intangible, you might be able to think a little bit more about that. Next game, we have the Kansas State against TCU. I, I, the cats versus the frogs, man. I, this is an interesting line to me because the market still, to this day, does not love themselves some TCU. You know, they would think that you know this should be a little bit bigger if TCU was the tr- was the true chosen one. I'll tell you this: Kansas State had them. They didn't have their quarterback, and they blew that game earlier this year. TCU was very fortunate playing against against a bunch of teams that happened to hurt their quarterback. Uh, that during that time when TCU played against Blake Shapin, he had a guy wide open 10 yards to get the first down against against Baylor and he decided to use his legs came two yards short they punt the ball what happens uh, TCU with terrible clock management somehow gets there and still is able to kick a last second field goal with the kicker yeah. like literally running out there and not even like thinking about it and just kicking it right maybe that, maybe sometimes that's just the best way to do it Ron is not thinking about it and uh, putting the ball right through the uprights there. But, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm kind of a, a closet TCU fan because I just l- like seeing different teams than I-, I think it'd be a travesty to punish them for playing an extra game to put them in based upon their rules. Because let's face it, Ron, if it was true power ratings, it'd be Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama in, in, the, uh, in the college football playoffs. But that's not how they do it. So I really want to see TCU in. My problem is I have this game pretty close to a pick of myself. So I would, I would, I would I have TCU minus 0.5 via power rating. Uh, TCU does have a 1.46 net yards per play to Kansas state 1.03. So that's about a 0.4 net yard per play difference. What are your thoughts? A lot of storylines in this game. I have, uh, TCU also favored by just one and a half, according to my power ratings. Will Howard, that was his first game when he was pressed into action. Martinez threw two passes against uh, TCU in that game. And Kansas State had the lead, but TCU came back. And that's what TCU did most of the season is come back from deficits. And then they started to find their groove lately. Uh, has, like you said, it hasn't really shown up in the love by the odds makers. And even though Will Howard has played much, much better and he's much more confident and he'd love to relish this chance to play against uh, TCU one more time and and play a little bit better than he did that initial game, I think Martinez would be the better option if he was 100% healthy in this game because it gives them more of a run-pass balance, a little bit more unpredictability in this particular game. 
The line, I think, is sitting at two and a half. I'm curious to see if it ever touches three. I think I would actually be interested in Kansas State at three. Um, they're very well coached, uh, very disciplined. The health of two wide receivers for TCU, Quentin Jefferson, I think was... Quentin Johnson for TCU. He was held out of last week's game. They said it was precautionary. Uh, you have to do your homework on this to really get your the answers as to why he didn't play last week. So I think he's going to be a go in this game, and he's a big big play threat. So that will be really interesting. Uh, I'm just really curious to see what Kansas State's quarterback rotation is going to be. So I'm sitting on the sidelines just waiting to digest a little bit more information before kickoff. Me too. I think Johnson would play. Why play him against when you're a ten and a half point favorite against a very overrated Matt Campbell in Iowa State? I saw that game, and I I was like, did you even watch TCU this year with all the <laughs> wide open misdirections happening? It's like that's what they've been doing all year, and you have literally nobody in the vicinity, Matt Campbell. I, I was I was very disappointed with him last week, probably because I bet on him as well. <laughs> no disagreement here at the three it's probably a play it'll probably get gobbled up quick so if you see a three you might want to attack but right now it's a stay away from me and i'm kind of a tcu fan but uh i'm more a fan of my money so if i get a three i'm gonna go play it let's move on to the next game here and it is lsu at georgia georgia minus 17 and a half the total here is at 51 so I'll start on this one. You know, LSU was such a fraud coming into Texas A&M last week. I never had them in the top eight of my power ratings. Um, I don't think I did. Maybe if I did, it was just barely edging the eight. But um, I will say that I do. I think Kelly has done a good job all, all in all with the program, and they've really they've already overachieved, in my opinion. I think it was great that they overachieved, but. Um, now, I mean, people people are kind of in the theory saying, well, Georgia's the number one. Georgia might let down a little bit and just kind of, you know, think about the playoffs. No, I don't think so. I, I think Kirby Smart's just going to play his game and beat him. You know, I, I think he is very in tune to how important the SEC championship game is. But I also think that they lost this game to Alabama last year gives them even a little bit more motivation to play this game. So from a power rating standpoint, I'm not that far away from 17 and a half, though. Uh, I believe I am at 18.75. So <laughs> my number is like Georgia a little bit past where it is because I am very high on Georgia. Georgia is my number one team. They have a 1.74 yards per play advantage over LSU. If they want to win by three scores, they can. Stetson Bennett is, I'm surprised that he's not getting their Heisman respect. Just because they blow out teams on the run and through defense doesn't mean he's not capable of doing more. So it's like almost unfair that guys from Tennessee get the Heisman considerations, guys from Alabama that are letting up all these points per game when it's like maybe Stetson Bennett has more upside. It's kind of like that old handicap where, you know, you, you – don't know how good a team really is based on their metrics because they are done by the third quarter, you know? So, so it's, it's funny to me thinking about that. And I'm sure Georgia fans will thank me for this, but I have them too close to the number. So it's no play for me. The total's interesting. I think this could go over, 
but it's 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 uh it got hit a little bit to the over from 49 to 51 what are your thoughts okay um my bread and butter is usually finding underdogs especially in conference championship games and stuff so the first thing i'm going to do is look to see what chance does lsu have and daniels he's prolific running the ball he's by far their leading rusher on LSU's team, and, and he's really driven opposing teams in the SEC crazy in terms of his runability. Uh, like you said, LSU is already overachieved this year. Um, they came back. They didn't win against Florida State, but it was uh, in the opener, but it was a sign of things to come that Kelly's team wasn't going to quit, that they are going to get better as the season went on, and they pretty much did until last week. The problem I have is that even though Georgia graduated their entire roster on defense to the NFL, or so it seemed, they haven't missed a beat. They're really stopping everybody. There's only two teams that have run for over 100 yards against Georgia, and the one running quarterback that they faced, which was Tennessee's quarterback, um, they stopped him pretty cold in terms of his runability. So if there was any edge to the fact that Daniels is such a good running quarterback, Georgia seems to, in a low sample size, but with a prolific Heisman contender, stops that kind of quarterback. So because of that, I, I, I'm on the sidelines. I think Georgia, if they want to run it up, they can run it up. If they get off to a bad start, maybe they get a little bit clammy and a little bit concerned and stuff like that. Uh, if Georgia loses close, they're still in the playoffs, so you have to weigh that factor as well that they're they're not going to be completely out with a loss um, lsu could uh, probably get in a group of six game if they do win but georgia's just too complete a team for me to really have a play on this game uh yeah they are a complete team what's your power rating number power rating number would favor georgia by 17 and georgia's my number one power rated team in the ncaa all right, all right so not too far from me Okay, it, yeah, it, I thought you're really making a case for LSU there. I thought you were going to come up with an LSU yeah. play. I was trying. I was trying. <laughs> I say, well, these running quarterbacks, they bother NFL teams. They bother some college teams, but they, apparently they do not bother Georgia. They sure bother NFL teams, and that was some of my biggest yeah. handicaps when I went over my NFL card yeah. right before you came on. There's two teams that really are involved with running quarterbacks, and one's yeah. on Thursday night. Uh, Clemson, North Carolina, North Carolina plus seven and a half, total 63.5. You know what these teams have in common, Ron? They're in the ACC and the ACC stinks. <laughs> That's one. And they also both <laughs> lost to Notre Dame. <laughs> it's like Notre Dame came in and just blew away North Carolina. And that game wasn't as close as the final score. And then they blew away Clemson. And that's what just kind of solidified the view of the ACC. So I call this game, even though they're the two lost teams, the battle of the biggest losers. <laughs> it's so funny to say that for a conference championship because no matter what happens, these guys have no chance yeah. of going in for a power five. It's kind of sad. Apologies to Clemson fans, but you guys have had it good enough over the past 10 years. So, you know, you can you can take it a little bit. Both teams had one loss. Um until those epic collapses last week. I mean, Clemson at least could have had an argument to be like, we beat South Carolina, you know, and, uh, uh, or sorry, we beat it, it. We just have one loss and so does Ohio state, but we're a conference champion, but they completely, 
screwed that up with that loss to South Carolina. South Carolina, of course, just beating Tennessee the week before. You know, where were they all year? How does I, I don't understand how UNC beats Wake Forest and Pittsburgh like they did, and then they lose to Georgia Tech and a quarterbackless NC State. It, it, it blows my mind. Why? It's like my daughter's wanting to join in. Um, and uh, <laughs> Clemson is a, a good team but not a great team. They have passing problems on offense, ranking 82 second in success rate. The good news is all they do need to do is run the ball with North Carolina, ranking 115th in defensive rushing success rate, giving up 4.43 yards per rush. Clemson ranks a modest 42nd at 4.71 yards per rush, and that's their path to victory. I think uh, if Clemson wasn't so good at running the ball against such a bad uh defense it, it it make me lean north carolina because my power number is just clemson minus four but i just think that this could be a, a clock controlling game ron and um i i think that north carolina might struggle so i, I i'm staying away yeah this is an easy game to stay away because i can make an argument for both sides when clemson has the data in their favor and you mentioned one of your reasons for staying away was because of Clemson's run attack and their ability to control the line of scrimmage in this game. Clemson is dynamite when they own the running data. But on the other hand, North Carolina never seems, for the most part, to be blown out in these kinds of matchups. They find a way, even though they're, and their defense has improved a little bit this year, but it's certainly not to the standard that North Carolina would want it to be, to be a real true contender. When they were nine and one, they were a pretender more than a contender. And we knew that. Um, the fact that they were winning some of these close games, these shootouts, their amazing uh, first year quarterback, and he's done a great job. Clemson lost both coordinators, and that was a concern coming into the season, and it certainly showed itself even in game 12, the way that South Carolina just dominated that particular game and left no doubt that uh, Clemson had some work to do defensively. I just have too many uncertainties in this particular game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson methodically ran the ball and kept North Carolina's offense off the field. And I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson was just flat from last week's game. Now they're, like you said, they have no pathway to the final four. And for them, it's usually final four or bust because that's where they've been under several quarterbacks and accepting a lesser bowl just isn't that exciting to them. So we could see kind of a, a dispirited performance from Clemson. And the fact that you have two possibilities, Clemson runs up the score because they control the line of scrimmage or Clemson doesn't care. Um, and those are two parallel, yeah. you know, they're, they're two differences of opinion. I, I just don't want a part of this game. There's too many questions, like you said. And, and Clemson only ranks 39th in opponent QBR, 34th in a, a yards per passing attempt. So, yeah, Drake May's got a path to victory, too. It's not like, you know, Clemson yeah. definitely controls it by rushing. Lots of questions for me. High-variance game. Next game, Toledo versus Ohio. Ohio down to 1.5 now, total 55. Ron, I I, I took Ohio plus four and a half. So, I, I you know, <laughs> and, and yeah, I'll pat myself on the back, but, you know, we're trying to figure out lines for the current show. I, I My numbers pick them. Um, I'm going to see if you find any value in it first. Well, Toledo games are very easy for me because whatever Toledo 
looks like power rating wise in any of the last three to four years, just do the opposite. <laughs> when they're favored by 10, they lose by 15. When it looks like they should be favored by you know, less than, that they don't have a chance, they win by 10. Nothing I do mechanically with power ratings, which is something I've used for 35 years or whatever, and they, they are extremely successful. Toledo is the answer to what can go wrong, will go wrong. I have never seen a team so disruptive with my power ratings. I don't even handicap them anymore. So you're on your own on this one. No, I, I just... It's I'm it's just why would I go in at a disadvantage? I have other games to pick. Agree. Here I have Toledo to win the Mac at like plus four hundred, but I also don't like them this game. So I I, I can I'm okay no matter what with my yeah. Ohio bet. It'd be nice to middle it. Perfect. But um, the thing for me is that Toledo. Their turnovers are in the predictable stage, ranking 121st in turnover margin. You know, it's like turnovers in general are not predictable. But when it comes to the outliers, USC is just, you know, keeps you know, positive. You know, Toledo's always sloppy, minus nine in turnover ratio. It's like those teams, you know, is just choking the ball up. That's how it was for Jacksonville forever. They're always choking the ball up in the NFL. It's almost like you know that they're going to blow it, even though on paper they should be better. I mean, it negates a 0.84 net yards per play for uh, advantage for Toledo. They have a 0.84 net yards per play, but the fact that they turn over the ball and play so sloppy throws it all uh, a mess. Now, the good news for them, Ohio lost Curtis Rourke you know, to a torn ACL, and that was just announced last week. But their backup, C.J. Harris, played okay last game. So you know they're, they're a good running team anyway. So it's a stay away at the one and a half. Anything at three or more, I definitely play Ohio again. So just wanted to let our listeners. And uh, Toledo's quarterback's been in and out of the lineup as well, if I remember correctly. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I believe so. Yep. Let's move on to Coastal Carolina versus Troy. Troy minus eight and a half-ish, some nine and a halfs out there. Total is 48 and a half. I'll let you get started with this one. Ron. Well, you know, it's Troy's had an amazing season. Uh, there was some controversy as to why they let their coach go at the end of last year. And this new guy has come in and, and they've just been absolutely amazing. Now, Coastal let me down last last week. I realized that they were without their starting quarterback, but uh, I've just been wrong on James Madison. I mean, they, they entered the, the big time and, you know, Realistically, they should be playing in this game, but because of the NCAA rules, for whatever reason, when you move up in class, you're not allowed to participate in conference championships and bowl games, even though they prove themselves worthy. To me, it's all about what quarterback plays for Coastal, because they are a different team when they have their lead quarterback in. There is a chance I heard he could play, but it's a monitor situation for me. Without that information, I'm probably on the sidelines. If I'm Grayson McCall, I don't play this game. Um, didn't they win? Yeah. It, didn't they win it last year? I thought they won it last year with him. It was App State versus them. I got. I can't remember. I have to look back. Yeah, um, yeah. They had an amazing year last year, um, um, and their coach may be in line for another job. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of distraction there, and that's why, you know, that there's money coming in on Troy. Not just that, and great them Grayson McCall injury. Look how bad they looked last year with right. Jared Guest. It was it was terrible. Um so if I'm Grayson McCall, I don't I don't do that. I 
I instead wait for the NFL and try to get, you know, a fifth round pick, sixth round pick and see if I get it. Because this uh, plan against a really good defense like Troy, he's not going to get rewarded being that it's Troy for winning this game so much. But losing it, I think he would get punished more. So I'm just giving you my thoughts on if I'm Grace McCall, especially if you're hobbled. There's no reason if you if you really have NFL aspirations, I, I would love Wisconsin to get him in a transfer if they, if that could happen. You know, yeah. if he doesn't go to the draft, I would love to have Drake some Grace and McCall. But uh, it just makes no sense for uh, him to play. But I actually like the under in this game, and I'll tell you why. You saw Coastal last week, and if it's true that Caldwell's leaving and, you know, the, the team's not going to show up so much and they're in a situation to win the, the uh, obviously, the championship, but I, I, it's not going to happen. I mean, Troy is just a much better team. I think Troy would give James Madison a run for their money too. And isn't it, I've never seen a team come from the FCS into the FBS in my years and do this good in my life. I am absolutely shocked on how good James Madison is. Uh, Ron it has just been uh, an amazing it's, story. Just they, they're, they're not only were in the FCS, they're better than people in the whole Sun Belt. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy to me. And the Sun Belt's a good week too. Yes, yes, I know. I know it just blows my mind. And that's why Sagarin always had them rank because he ranks FCS with FBS. Them in like the fifties and sixties, you know, last year they were always a high rank for him. That's why I like looking at his stuff too. But um, both teams are slow paced. They rank in the hundreds in tempo. Troy's got the solid defense. Coastal now with the backup quarterback, they're just going to try to run the ball a lot. They're not going to put it in his hands a lot. Hopefully, it won't get out of their hands because he will have to throw it. But um, he only threw the ball twenty three times at Jared Guest last game and and 23 times isn't a lot i think there's a chance coastal can't put up any points in this game at all it's just there's just so many ways this thing can go under 48 and i took it under 48 and a half um troy uh, also doesn't rank super high in offensive success rate 66 and 76 uh in offensive epa so uh troy doesn't have the biggest offense themselves the weather's calling for rain um i like the under Yep, I, I still would play it under 48 and a half for a couple okay. stars. Next game, UCF versus Tulane. And Tulane is minus three. The total of this game is about 57. Ron, why don't you get started with this one? Well, I had two uh, areas that I was looking at in this particular game. Number one was UCF's uh, quarterback, uh, Plumlee. I believe he's been in and out of the lineup because the other the other player he's played in four of the last five games and he's thrown 85 passes. Uh, Plumlee has thrown fewer, but he's a tremendous run threat. And they shared time in last week. They shared time actually in three of the games. I believe that he was the guy who quarterbacked in their in their game that they did play against uh, UCF did play Tulane not that long ago. But in that particular game, Tulane got behind, if I remember correctly, right away. And then they were forced to play catch-up in that particular game. Uh, do I have that right? Uh, I have I'm to look. To uh, catch-up. Tulane. Yeah. I believe I believe Tulane played catch-up in that particular game. And I know they, they did put up good week. numbers. But UCF, I believe, put up 300 yards or something on the ground in that particular game. 
Yep. So it was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, but yeah, Spears, yeah. yeah. UCF was ahead most of that game. Yeah, you got it there. Yeah. So uh, both teams can run the ball uh, fairly well in this game, and I, ex- I expect them to chunk out some yards. I'm just curious. Uh, it looks like Tulane's quarterback. It, I'm sorry, Tulane's head coach is going to stay. He was he was being wooed by other programs, but. I think I heard yesterday or today that he's going to stay. So there's not going to be some of that uncertainty as to whether or not Tulane's head coach is there. For and the Fritz. line has ticked up a little bit from three and a half to four. So I think that works in Tulane's favor. Because I was definitely leaning toward UCF in this game with the coaching uncertainty and the fact that both teams can run so well. Um, my numbers point to... Uh, my power ratings point to UCF only with about a, I'm sorry, Tulane with about a two-point advantage. <clears throat> I don't know where your power ratings are, but I don't show the full three and a half or four, so it's close. Where are your power ratings on this one? I'm going to pull up the straight power rating. I have UCF uh, dogs by 0.75. Okay, uh, so we're both under the number. Yeah, we're both under it. Yep, and I actually yeah. have I, I actually have a play on UCF for this one. Yeah, and and I was more on I want I was probably going to play UCF, and I may still, but I'm wavering a little bit now that the coaching aspect has been solidified for TCU, and they keep it. I don't know if it's as enough of an edge. I guess if the line keeps ticking up, I might have like a pizza play on. Uh, on the four points because I think they're close enough in value that it could be last team has the ball wins. I took the plus four and it's, I I had this written at plus three. So it did come back some it's three and a half now at DraftKings. And um, so we saw this game UCF went to Tulane, beat them 38, 31. Like we were saying, you, you, uh, UCF ran all over them for 336 yards, Ron. And I think that's the path to victory. Um, Tulane ranks 55th in opponent rushing success rate, giving up four yards per rush. That doesn't bode well when UCF is 14th in rushing success rate at 5.5 yards per rush. And Tulane's been fortunate with plus seven turnovers. You know, it's... Maybe they get the, the turnover margin this game. And, of course, we can't predict turnover margin unless maybe, like I said, if it's a massive outlier, you can say this team's probably going to turn it over. But they've been fortunate. And if UCF just takes care of the ball like they didn't do against East Carolina and a couple of their losses, they're the better team. Sorry, they're the better team. Yeah, Yards per play is equal, around 1.2-ish. But the, pl- give me th- over three points. It's a play. It's a positive EV play, in my opinion, over three. Um, there's going to be some UCF fans there. Like, you know, we talk about it's not a true home game. It's close, but um, they already played at home and won by seven. So I like UCF plus three and a half for 2.5 stars, Ron. And so more more than pizza for me, my friend. <laughs> okay. I'll put some mushrooms on mine. Put some mushrooms. Yeah, get the works at least. All right. And maybe a couple, yeah. beer, couple beers. Uh, Fresno State. Versus Boise State. Boise State minus three and a half. The total is 54. There's, uh, let me just make sure the line is still here for people. Uh, we have uh, at three. Uh, 
Fresno State plus three, minus 105. Totals 53.5, as you can see on the odds screen right here. So for me, I played this one too, but I got a better number. Of, <laughs> I got four and a half, and I think that's consistent because me and you know when to play numbers. But there's four in a third games, right? Or at least one third of the games. That's what I meant to say because I wrote notes. I said four games that Hainer missed. And that's making a lot of these stats kind of worthless because this was a much different Fresno State team when Hainer wasn't playing. Even with the skewed stats, though, Fresno still has an offensive success rate at 17th to Boise's 62nd. Fresno has the harder schedule, in my opinion, having to go to USC as well as Boise and across the the well across the United States to UConn. You know, it's it's far, and then that was without their quarterback. But I like the way Fresno finished the season. They ripped seven wins in a row. Uh, Boise struggled a few games at Wyoming. They struggled at Air Force. Air Force is a good team, so I'll give them that one. But that home loss to BYU, BYU hasn't been looking that good. I think Fresno's poised to stop the run here, and I think that's what's going to help them. Um, and it's also the, the fact that a freshman like Tylen Green, which was better than uh, the guy that transferred for Boise, but he's a freshman. You know, he doesn't have the experience. I think Fresno can bait him in some bad plays. I took the four and a half. I still like it at three and a half plus two point five stars. Ron, what do you have on this one? Well, sounds like you read my notes a little bit, <laughs> the way you're going there, because I think you have to throw out the last time these two teams met. They were in, they were completely different teams. Um, Hayner for Fresno State, he completes about 73 to 75% of his passes. And not having him in the lineup in the first game, you know, was, was terrible for them. And then Green in that game, that was his first start when they played Fresno and he was just, he's a freshman. So he was just getting his feet wet and now he's a legit run threat. And the way Boise runs the ball, they have three run threats and they proved it in that particular game. And they, they proven it. uh, They've really become a little bit more run centric with green because they like the blend of his run pass balance. He's not a pure quarterback at this point at, at, at all. In fact, these two defenses defend the pass so well that it's really about who who prevails in the run game. I like the fact that you got four and a half points because there's no power rating that would support giving four and a half points. Right. When we get down to a line closer to three, well, that might be a little bit of a different story. I can't really play the game because even though my power numbers would favor Fresno as the dog, Uh, My on-field metrics tell me that Boise might be able to run the ball sufficiently. Um, The X factor being Hayner hasn't played this defense, and maybe he's the best quarterback that Boise will have faced um, other than BYU's Hall, and we we know that game was a shootout as well. So uh, I'm kind of leaning the other way, leaning toward Boise if the points go down a little bit more, but not with conviction because um, because of the fact that I know Fresno can pass the ball. Taylor Green, 7.16 yards per rushing <coughs> attempt. Uh, so if Boise wins this game, it's because of his legs. 
you know what's right. you, you know what's funny is that you could bet like Fresno plus a three and a half or whatever, and you can if there's a prop you can find. Now there's more and more props coming up. Now it's not usual to see like a rushing prop for a quarterback in college, but maybe they do for these championship games. You can bet both sides. You can bet Taylor Green over his rushing yards, and you can bet Fresno State because the only path to victory is Taylor really rushing the ball. So you can hit both bets. You know, obviously this is still three and a half in the hook, so that's not a terrible way to approach this game if you can find I get- it. Yeah, I got a tip for viewers in terms of rushing props. There will be quarterback rushing props in four or five of these games. Um, Rushing yards in college for quarterbacks, sacks take are negative. So in the NFL, if you take a sack, it doesn't come off your quarterback's rushing yards. But if Green got sacked four times for 40 yards, it would subtract from his total. So you look at teams that can sack other quarterbacks for example um there is a game uh this weekend where there's a quarterback who will run very well and won't get sacked that's where you want to take a quarterback running yards over but if you're playing georgia for example and you have daniels be careful with this rushing total because georgia might be able to sack him oh exactly and so that's that's important. Uh, that's the most important thing. But I will say, if Fresno does get four sacks, they're probably covering that spread anyway. So, in my opinion, that side would be safe, um, even if that happens. Of course, there's always risk of losing both. Sometimes you just go a little bit smaller on one side and then the other. I like my bet at four and a half. I would play it again once uh, once again at three and a half. And so that's why I am giving out that play. Let's get into the final game, and we have Michigan. And now this thing's at 17. It was at 17. It was at 16 and a half. It's kind of back and forth slightly here. And I'll share my screen for viewers. Total 52. So this is interesting. I mean, Purdue, I was like traveling to the Polar Express with my kids, you know, for them to get on a train. And I was missing some of the Nebraska versus Iowa game. I get there. It's halftime. I look at my phone and look at the scores. I'm like, are you kidding me? Nebraska is beating Iowa in Iowa 17 nothing, yeah. And all of a sudden my Purdue plus 600 to win the Big Ten West is like back from the dead, my friend. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was surprised it actually happened. And uh, uh, it was nice to see a bet that I thought that was long dead because for a long time we thought it was going to be Minnesota. Then we thought it was going to be Illinois. And then we thought it was going to be Iowa at the very end to win the Big Ten West. And Purdue comes right from the back door. That was a nice plus 600 we cashed, but now they're stepping up massively in competition. The question for me this game is one thing, Ron. I have no idea how much Michigan's really going to try to play Blake Corum, uh, a couple of their other guys. Maybe you have a better injury report on Michigan than I do. My line on this game is Michigan minus 17.75 points. So I'm very close to the number as it is. I would consider a Michigan team total over 34 because even with Michigan's like freshman sophomores, I think their scheme is just so good. They still could be able to put up points against Purdue. So that's my lean right now. But I I, want to get more information on who's playing this game. What is your thoughts? Yeah, uh, my power numbers have it at 17, so I don't see an edge there. My rushing numbers would slightly favor Michigan at full strength, but I have to throw that out because I don't think Blake Horm's going to be much of a factor in this game. I think the better uh, thing for them is to sit up 
and have them play in the final four because if, even if Michigan loses, they might make it, but favored by 17, you would, you would think that Michigan will find a way to win the game and get into the final four and have Blake Corum be at a hundred percent full strength, <coughs> excuse me, for, uh, for the final four. Uh, the problem I have with Purdue is that O'Connell doesn't stretch the field as much as I'd like to see from a Purdue quarterback. And he went through a seven game stretch where he threw at least one interception in each of these seven games. For Purdue to be competitive in this game, they have to go turnover free, in my opinion. Yeah. Because I think the Purdue defense will probably give up a big play or two with a pass. I don't think Mich Michigan is perceived as a power run team, but they're not afraid to stretch the field in the pass game. I've seen them stretch the field with uh, throwing deeper patterns. And I think they will get some coverages that they'll be able to exploit on this fast surface. So it's, it's incumbent upon Purdue to play an error-free game. And I'm just not sure that they're capable of doing that. I'm on the sidelines for this particular game. Um, if anything, and I, I'm not proficient in these plays, but if you ask me you know, what I would prefer, I probably prefer a team total under for Purdue, hoping to shorten the game. And because of their shorter passing attack, I think Michigan has an easier time defending Purdue's offense. So that's probably the way I would look. Yeah, it, that's not a terrible way to look at it. I mean, Michigan's defense is fantastic. You know, the thing about this game, Ron, you can't use a lot of stats. Michigan's like number three in defensive EPA, offensive EPA. They're tops in pretty much everything. It's like, where are you going to find an edge for a Purdue team? You know, it's like, you know, yeah. if anything, I, I think Michigan tries to get out of it quick too. And uh, I, I know Purdue's going to put their best foot forward. And, you know, yeah. Coach Brom is going to probably have something tricky too. So it's just so many weird things that can happen this game. I, I think the spread's perfect and... Uh, sometimes you just got to stay away from these situations and I'm going to myself. And, uh, I mean, unless this team total is looking really good for Michigan, it's probably, um, a stay away, but I do enjoy games, believe it or not, without betting on them, Ron. As a matter of fact. So, uh, so, so. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, what's interesting is in these conference title games, these all or nothing games, it skews the total sometimes because Purdue, Purdue is going to go all out to win. There's no next week. There's no anything else. So if they give up 49 points or if they give up 33, I mean, they're going to go all in and try to pull out all the stops. And it, it kind of skews the odds and the total sometimes because you have to treat handicapping these games a little bit differently than a routine Saturday in, in October. Absolutely, man. And that's a big point for this one. Uh, I'm going to enjoy it. And sometimes I watch games purposely that I don't bet on just because I want some information for next week and I don't have to sweat it. So there you go, Ron, we are all through the championship week games. Thank you so much. You did a fantastic job breaking everything down. Where could our viewers and listeners digest your media and great information? Yeah. First of all, Kev, thanks for having me on. It's always great to chat with, with you. We've had some uh, good conversations in the past. I'm sure we will have them in the future. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ron A. Sports. Every Sunday in the NFL, I give uh, 
points to ponder as far as all the NFL games that are going on in the morning and afternoon West Coast time. On Tuesdays, Las Vegas, Chris and I, uh, we talk strategy. We talk whatever's on our mind. We would we used to do this just by phone, and we said, why don't we put it on video and have everybody listen to it? We're going live now on our show, so we actually take questions. And on Friday, my longtime friend, Ted Ted Sobel, he works at Sports USA. He does the pregame and the halftime shows for Sports USA Live. They do the radio broadcast of two games every week. We've got Kansas City and Cincinnati this week. So on Friday, you can catch our show probably uh, late Friday morning. And we're going to be breaking down Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow. And that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a player interview. So thanks, Kiev. Yeah, you can find me on various podcasts and tweeting occasional things and uh, writing on Kyle Hunter Sports as well and yeah. writing some college articles. Absolutely. Chris, a great guy. And Ted, I hear him here all, all over the place. He's all over the United States yeah. in the morning. Just turn on your radio. Ted Sopel's on somewhere. So uh, he's a fun guy to watch and just very well-spoken. So thanks again, Ron. Appreciate it. Best of luck this weekend. Thank you. You too. Now it is time for the sharp side of the force. The sharp side of the force is brought to you by betfred.com. Please visit Betfred and use the promo code odds23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. All right, my friends, starting out with sharp money on college football championship week as of Wednesday. 11-30-22, sharp money on Ohio, plus 4.5, down to plus 1.5 versus Buffalo. Now there's buyback, so the money now isn't equal. People are trying to middle. Same thing with Troy, minus 4.5 to minus 8.5 versus Coastal Carolina. That was a big movement, and now there's some buyback, so the money is now uh, closer to equal as well. Georgia, minus 1.5, or sorry, minus 16.5 to minus 17.5 versus LSU. 37% of the tickets and 72% of the money and sharp money on Fresno State plus five down to plus three and a half at Boise State. 50% of the tickets, 83% of the money. Sharp totals. North Texas versus UTSA over 6.5, 82% of the tickets, 99% of the money. Sharp money on Coastal Carolina versus Detroit under 49 to 48, 38% of the tickets and 77% of the money. Sharp money on Clemson versus UNC under 65 to 63.5, 19% of the tickets, 83% of the money. Sharp money on Michigan versus Purdue over 48.5 to 51.5, 52% of the tickets and 77% of the money. Sharp NFL. Sharp money on the Patriots, plus 5.5 to plus 4, hosting the Bills, 42% of the tickets, 70% of the money. Sharp money on Packers, minus 2 to minus 4.5 at the Bears, 66% of the tickets, 98% of the money. Sharp money on the Commanders, from pick to 2.5, minus 2.5 at the Giants, 30% of the tickets, 62% of the money. Sharp money on the Seahawks, minus 3 to minus 7.5 at the Rams. Money's flipped due to buyback on this one. Sharp money on the Saints, plus 6.5 to plus 4 at the Buccaneers, 61% of the tickets and 83% of the money. Sharp totals, Bills versus Patriots under 45.5 to 43.5, 41% of the tickets and 94% of the money. Sharp money on the Browns versus Texans over 44 to 47.5, 46% of the tickets and 79% of the money. Sharp money on the Commanders versus the Giants under 42 to 40.5, 80% of the tickets and 98% of the money, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to this show. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at info at theoddsbreaker.com or DM us on Twitter. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy all the games and go get some winners.